Hi everyone, I just want to give a brief trigger warning that this episode talks about suicide in the context of the plot of D.R. Van Hansen, so if that's not for you, totally understand, set this one out. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to The B-Sides. Hello, what's up? Uh, We are a podcast for people who can enjoy Ben Platt, but also question his seriousness and his (laughs) contribution to pop music and perhaps the theater world in general. And we are so glad you're here. Uh, So subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. Subscribing makes it way easier to keep up with us and open up the description of this app to find out other ways to join this internet home. We have joined Discord and it's honestly a very fun place. I love Discord. I'm, I didn't think I was going to like it so much, but it's been like really, really fun and a good place to have those conversations that don't really belong on Instagram or Facebook, but people like want to talk about. Actually, people have started talking about Ted Lasso, which I think is I, I don't watch that show. I thought we were going to stick to pop music. But people have started talking about Ted Lasso. I'm like, great, go for it. Whatever and you want to use this space for with when Instagram and Facebook were down too. yeah, I was like, no worries. Discord, we got you. No Mark Zuckerberg in, in sight. He literally, None. he's not there. He was disconnected, actually, you would say. Oh, my God. Oh, wait, <laughs> Becky, I have one more thing to plug. The shirts? We have two shirts left, everyone. Two. And I don't know if they're even going to be here by the time by the time the episode goes live. But, you know, you can just jump on our Etsy store to see. So if you if you missed it, we did release a limited run of shirts that say she looks so gritty like a devil. If you feel like you understand that, then you should buy the shirt. If you feel like you don't understand that, that's totally fine. It's it's super niche content. But if you like Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift, if you like Gritty as a socialist icon, and if you like changing pronouns in pop music from he to she, especially when you think that maybe the artist might be a little gay, as we do sometimes think, then you should buy this shirt. I think there's a medium and a large left. So get on it. Yeah. It's awesome. And if you liked us, you liked it, let us know. Maybe we'll make some more and it won't yeah. be so limited run. We had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, you may have noticed so far that uh, our third person, Mimi, has not spoken yet. And that is because she is not here for today. She has taken a much deserved rest, which our labor brothers and sisters really pushed for and fought for. So she is resting and we have replaced her for the episode with a dear friend of mine, a new friend of Hannah's, John Schneidman, who, round of applause. Yo, what's up? What's good? John, uh, since we didn't write a bio for you, feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, I am John Schneidman. I work as a music director in theater, so Broadway, off-Broadway. I haven't worked on Broadway yet, but in all the other places you can work before Broadway, I have worked. Um, and I'm hoping to bring that level of professional expertise to our conversation today. Yes. And so today, which I have maybe alluded to in the intro, we're going to be talking about how Dear Evan Hansen may have ruined Ben Platt's career for good. 
It might have. It really might have. It's what we're going to debate today. Um, yeah, this is going to be rough, rough for Ben Platt, but great for us. And I think ultimately Mimi will be happy that she sat this one out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she'll listen and learn a lot. She told us that she didn't really have many opinions on the musical or Ben Platt uh, for that. And some of you may not even know what Dear Evan Hansen is or who Ben Platt is. We have talked about him previously. So if you haven't, there's been some episodes about Broadway to Hollywood where you can catch that. But for you, we are going to tell you what Dear Evan Hansen is about. Can I ask a question first? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and I want to know, our, like we can decide, like let's like make a group norm or whatever for the rest of the episode and for the audience today. Are we spoiling things today? Like is today oh. a spoiler day? I, I think it is not possible to talk about the horror that is this show without spoiling it. I think there are many crucial plot points that will need to be discussed to not only discuss the movie, the musical, but why it's going to tank Ben Platt's career. Yeah. So I I think if you have not seen the the movie or the musical and you don't want it spoiled, on the one hand, maybe, you know, stop now. On the other hand, maybe listen on to see why it actually just doesn't even deserve your money. So maybe it's okay if you get spoiled because you don't really need to interact with it that much. You know, right? I think so. That's something okay. I would support. Okay. Okay. Great. Then let's spoil the shit out of it. As, as somebody who not only saw the musical, but the movie, I, I recommend nobody else spend the money I spent. I did. I, so to set the scene also, I have seen the musical. I have not seen the movie. You both, Becky and John, have seen both, right? You've both seen both. Yes, yeah. I've seen both. Yep. I have okay. seen, unfortunately seen both as well. I, a uh, humble brag, but I uh, saw Ben Platt originate the role on Broadway. I don't know, John, did you see it with the original cast too? So I did not see it with the original cast. I saw it the week after Ben Platt starring the man, Noah Galvin, who is mm. now Ben Platt's boyfriend. Um, I think that is actually a very useful perspective to have seeing the show without having seen Ben Platt, because as we'll get into, I think Ben Platt's performance kind of covered up a lot of the, uh, shall we say, moral deficiencies of the piece for a lot of people. I think before we get any further, we're all very excited about this. We should tell people what Dear Evan Hansen is about in, I think this is also will be as try to be as unbiased as possible about defining what Dear Evan Hansen is is about, but uh, you'll see a little snark in that. And if you love Dear Evan Hansen, you know, let us know because we don't, this is not going to be an all hate. It's just going to be a complicating conversation. Um, Okay. So here's how Universal describes the movie Dear Evan Hansen and the title character. Evan Hansen, Evan Hansen is an anxious, isolated high school student who's aching for understanding and belonging amid the chaos and cruelty of the social media age. I can't even continue in his face. He soon embarks on a journey of self-discovery when a letter he wrote for a writing exercise falls into the hands of a grieving couple whose son took his own life. So that's how Universal says it. There's definitely one way to put it. Um, it's, it is kind of like the plot that this movie asks you to accept as like the normal, the good plot, the very face value. You know, because, yeah, having a, a dead classmate is like totally a great chance to find yourself. Yeah, like <laughs> capitalize on it. Go for it. <laughs> Um, there's like a few more characters 
The description leaves out the element of Zoe. Zoe is the sister of the student they were referencing who took his own life, who's named Connor. So Connor is only there as a as an alive character for just a little bit. His sister is Zoe. Evan has a crush on Zoe. He uses um, he lies about his friendship with Connor. He says that um, he he basically the lie starts that he and Connor were very, very close which was not true. And he like inserts himself into Connor and Zoe's family, ultimately starts dating her. Um, What else should we, what other plot points, John and Becky, are we missing? Well, I I think it is worth highlighting that the plot is cockamamie. And what I mean by that is that this is a show that, and a movie that marketed itself as a very true to life, real reflection of what's going on in high schools around America. The, what happens is Evan writes himself a letter as part of a therapy exercise. He prints it out at school. Connor Murphy finds it, sticks it in his pocket, then happens to die with the letter in his pocket. His parents find it and assume because the letter started Dear Evan, because Evan wrote it to himself, thus the title Dear Evan Hansen, that the letter was written from Connor to Evan. And Evan is too anxious and too worried about the Murphy's family's feelings to correct them on this uh, assumption. Um, It is in many ways the plot of an old Shakespeare comedy somehow transferred to present day and to a show that's supposed supposed to take seriously. Is that serious? It it is based off a Shakespearean comedy? No, what I mean is like that sort of oh. like mistaken identity farcical element to it yes. is is not something it's not really something that we tend to find in stories that are not comedies or farces. Yeah, it's like so true. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Like whenever that stuff does happen in culture, going back to Shakespeare and before, that's supposed to be like you're setting something up to be very funny and there's it this show takes itself so seriously yeah. but every at every turn you're like wait is this real and if it was a comedy you actually might forgive some of it but it's not yes if, if this was a pitch black comedy that was a satire of many of the things that we're going to discuss that happened in this show it would it could be incredible actually. But the fact that it wants us to take it at face value and it plays the entire thing straight um, makes it the abomination that it is. Should we highlight any of the like side characters? Um, it's a I'd be small happy to. company. It is. It's, it's- yeah. I mean, one of the things and that we see in the stage version versus the theater or the stage versus the movie um, versions is the character Alana, who is a side character in both but she's given way more in the movie and i think it's a way for them to highlight like mental illness illness more as a as a universal problem and alana is the a black character and she's black in the show and she's black in the movie and she suffers with mental illness and then ultimately is the one that outs ben platt as being a liar it's worth discussing Alana's place in the ecosystem of both shows because in the high in the high school in both the show and the movie she is this ambitious highly energetic type a class president type who is looking for a cause to take on and in the show she's way more sociopathic than she is in the movie because in the show 
she takes this on for admittedly no reason. She didn't know Connor, but takes it all very personally and makes it very much about her and her ambition. Um, Whereas in the movie, at least what they fixed about that is that this is an issue that is personal to her, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. And so it it is more, more personal to the character for that reason rather than as a vessel for her blind ambition. Yeah, and I also thought, I actually, I think John and I maybe disagree with this, but I thought the movie did Alana actually well. And it also portrayed a message too, where like you see Ben Platt and you're like, God, people with like anxiety, depression, like are so unrelatable. And I think they tried to really make Alana's character as like someone very type A, et cetera, et cetera, that you'd be like, oh, wow, anyone can be suffering from depression and you wouldn't know. Yeah, I think my problem with Alana in the movie is similar to my problem with a lot of the movie, which is that they made a bunch of changes to try to make the show less, and this is a word I'm going to say a lot, sociopathic. But those changes now no longer make sense within the characterizations of the characters. So Alana is more empathetic and and more... um, worldly and more understanding of other people's issues but it makes her decision making especially towards the end of the story make no sense because she we've understood her to be a character who should fucking know better she should know better than to post what happens in the show is that she posts what she believes to be connor murphy's suicide note to the internet which and we could talk about how this makes no sense too, opens up the Murphy family to online harassment and abuse. Um, and, and I think in the, in the show, it makes sense that she would do this because she's vile and manipulative. But in the movie, she should know better because she seems to be compassionate. Yeah, she's acting a lot more on like a hurt emotion and a vindictive emotion than like what we would have seen normally. She's upset because Ben isn't like working on the Connor project anymore because he's so happy that he's like dating Zoe. Yes, in the show. Okay, so I think we should mention this part of the plot because it gets at, there's so much going on in this fucking show. But a central element of the plot is that Evan and Alana Uh, decide to start what they call the Connor Project. So they're raising money and trying to raise mental health awareness. Um, They're fundraising to rebuild an orchard that Connor visited a lot as as a child. There's also a connection, the lie that Evan tells about them, but that's besides the point. Um, And as part of this, they hold a school assembly where Evan gives a speech, which in the show and the movie is called, is the song, You Will Be Found. And the the speech goes viral. And now they're internet superstars over the Connor Project. And so there are, in the world of the show, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people following this effort. So when Alana posts the suicide note, thousands of people read it and react to it. Um, Because you used this word, John, I'm curious if you want to define it. Like, what do you mean by sociopathic? Because I I think I agree with you like a thousand percent. And it seems like that's a central like thing that you're that you're very frustrated with about the show. I I, I think this story, 
because I, I think the movie is the exact same way. I think this show and this story has absolutely no interest in the people who are most harmed in the story. The Murphys, Zoe, the parents, are by far the people who lose the most in the show. They lose a son. They lose a brother to suicide. They, they have their lives terrorized by this liar who creates this story out of whole cloth for attention and love. And the story has no interest in their experience whatsoever. It is only interested and prioritizes at every turn Evan's experience and Evan's story and Evan's growth. That's what I mean by sociopathic, that the the story makes a choice it, at every turn. It makes the choice that Evan's feelings, Evan's feelings of loneliness and anxiety are more important than literally everything and everybody else in his world. That is what I find sociopathic and vile about this show. Yeah. And one thing too, and this is noted in our notes, and I thought it was a really good point. And the movie definitely highlights this that like Evan Hansen, like, isn't that lonely they show all these school scenes where like, he's not really bullied people just like he does. Maybe doesn't have like friends, but he has Jared who also we should talk the movie. Like he is now a a gay kid of color, which fine, but he's not that in the show. And, but that's who he has. He says they're family friends, but like they talk as if they're much closer than family friends. And it doesn't really sell you like that. He's like, just, he just like, is a weird guy. That's not that social, but not that he's like being bullied and thrown against like lockers all the time. And the movie really highlights that it's Evan's life is fine. Evan's life is fine. Unless you think uh, your peers at school, not asking you how your day is going constantly is a human rights violation. That, that's the only way you think that Evan is entitled to the things that he does in this show, which I would argue the entire show is premised off the idea that Evan is entitled to behave the way he does. Yeah, I mean, look, Disney does this thing, which it loves to do is like highlight single moms and then be like, look how bad they are for like trying to work and take care of their family and like fathers who are non-existent. And like, I think that's how they also try to make you, I know that's how I try to make you feel bad for Ben too, where it's like, oh, we'll do taco Tuesday with the mom. And then the mom's like, can't working again. And then he like absolves his other family because he's so unhappy with his current family. Have we, have we talked about the mother yet? I don't think we have. Evan has this wonderful, supportive mother who is trying to make it work under very trying circumstances. And Evan is nothing but cruel to her for the entirety of the thing. The mother finds him a a doctor, a therapist, a psychologist, supports him in his mental health journey, asks him questions, asks him how he's doing. And Evan, at every turn, treats her terribly and questions her motives when... Like the show doesn't even because because at one point Evan's the show doesn't like, do it like that. I don't think. I, I, like the, there's a scene in the movie where Evan, played by Ben Platt, says to his mother, played by Julianne Moore, who is the only good thing, one of the only good things in this movie. The women are all good in this movie. Um, says like, I know what a burden I am to you. You treat me like a burden that makes me feel terrible, and that's why I need to spend all this time with this other family. But 
she never does that. She never, by, by any objective viewing of the movie, uh, she never, ever treats him like a burden. She is nothing but gentle and kind with her troubled son. And the, the movie just kind of wants to take Evan's side. It, it never questions him on that. Yeah. I, I don't and- know. I, I, you, you guys could tell I came ready to go to talk about this fucking movie. And I also, what I found, yeah, it's, it's true in the movie. You do. I found myself feeling bad for Julianne Moore's character, especially in the movie where it's that scene where he like comes back with Zoe to the house and he's like, thinks he's having dinner with just Zoe, but then it turns out to be Zoe and they invited the mom and they try to offer the mom money like to pay for Ben Platt's, I'm sorry, they pay for Evan Hansen's college, um, uh, pay for his college. And the mom gets really offended. And Evan Hansen is like, fuck you, mom. Like, and it did make me feel bad for Julianne more because I was like, what a fucking horrible thing to be yelled at by your son about this. Who basically is trying to like find his own family. Yeah. No, uh, Ben Platt's, Evan Hansen, I, I love that we're using that interchangeably. We'll get to that later. <laughs> he would love Evan, that, though. <laughs> yes, yes, he would, which is part of the problem. Um, Evan Hansen's mother is, in my mind, a very empathetic character in the story. Um, she is just a woman doing her best. And Evan Hansen has no appreciation. It Once again, it feels like the way that you just set that up and then said the movie takes Evan's side with the mom thing, of course, is actually the whole the, the whole movie, there's all these problems. Evan's a part of it. He's actually the anti-hero, but he's treated like the hero. And I feel like it's once again something that's frustrating about this movie is that they come so close to actually interrogating a human experience. Like, actually, if you it, it is kind of interesting. I don't know if there's a whole movie to make out of it, but there it's an interesting dynamic to like look at teens who like don't appreciate how hard their parents are working. Like that's interesting. And if if they wanted to actually interrogate that. That's an interesting plot to like think about or whatever. All the other things we've been talking about that Evan is doing the wrong thing. And we could like talk about that and like and treat it as he's doing the wrong thing. And instead it's like, oh, he's just troubled and he's just going through a lot. Like the same way you're talking about how he he has a fine life. Like I actually think it's interesting to show people who actually have it, quote unquote, fine and still struggle with mental health, right? Because it helps to complicate the dominant narrative in society, which is that you have to have problems in order for me to justify that you have social anxiety. You have to prove to me that you are like sad enough to have social anxiety. So if that was what they wanted to kind of go in and say, look at this guy who has a lot of things going for him and he still has this anxiety, then that's an interesting story. But instead, exactly what you were saying, John, they use it as justification to do these horrible actions, horrible, And that's not true. And that's actually like not great for people with social anxiety who are like, yeah, I actually, I struggle quite debilitatingly with social anxiety. Also, I would never take advantage of a, of a grieving family and like try to sleep with a girl that I have a crush on by lying to her so horribly. Like, no. It's, that's the story of this entire, of the entire Dear Evan Hansen movie. The, the entire Dear Evan Hansen machine is that the it gets, Dear Evan Hansen cinematic universe. Yes, is that it gets <laughs> so close to interrogating these really complicated ideas. You will be found. For me, is it, it? It's it could just as easily play as a parody of these 
uh, viral social movements that generate around like one personal tragedy. It, the movie, but the movie and the show wants us to take it seriously and needs us to see it as valuable. There is a story to tell about the superficiality of these online moments. There is a story to tell about like, like what the fuck are all these people doing glomming onto this tragedy of a family of people they don't know. There are lots of questions to have about that. This show is not interested in asking them. The show is not interested in engaging on any deep level. It wants us to buy it at face value. It wants us to watch this movie where no shit and those of you who have seen the movie know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have not seen the movie are about to be horrified where we're seeing the story go viral and the video gets posted on YouTube. And the title of the YouTube video of Evan Hansen's speech and Becky's face is already in her hands is his best friend died, dot, dot, dot. You will not believe what he did next. That is the YouTube video that goes viral. And the movie is just like, isn't this lovely? Isn't this great? It's it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It does sound like a parody. Like they are trying to parody like that. Like they're trying to do a social commentary on. Instead, they're just like, isn't social media overwhelming? But look at all the good that can come from it, too. Like what? Who needs that take in 2021? And I actually, this is the difference between the stage and the movie production. On the stage, You Will Be Found resonates, I think, differently than, so the stage version of it, they have like a ton of different screens flashing, and it's like a very big scene on the stage. Like on Broadway, you're like fully absorbed. There's lots of lights. There's like a huge, and a lot of emotion, but it just falls so flat in the movie. It just looks ridiculous. It's like people staring at their phones, like doing searching and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it doesn't it have like, the same impact. It, how does it happen? Like, is he does he sing from a podium? Yes. And then and then does it like halfway through they start showing how it's on YouTube or something? Yes. Yes, basically. Do it. And, it. and okay. uh, um, culminating in a shot of all the different videos of people like contributing and talking about the way that Evan Hansen has touched or moved their lives and they all fade back and become a collage of connor murphy's face wait 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 i'm sorry is that collage like is that like a collage like a real thing or is it like a movie moment it's a movie moment where all the videos fade into the the screen as like the camera pulls back and we see all the different videos and they become connor murphy's face and then it's not like you zoom out and it's um, it's Alana being like, look at this montage I made. It's literally just a, no. that is horrible. It, it is within the world. It is the, it is a movie move. It is I not hate like everything you just said. I hate yeah. It. It's, it's horrendous. It's, I, I, but Becky, I think you hit on something. If, if we're talking about differences between the stage and the movie, I, I think the observation you just made about you will be found is true for the entire production on stage. This was a big budget musical with lots of moving parts, lots of screens, sets coming in and out. There weren't that many cast members, but there was was a lot of money spent on this show. It was a very technologically advanced show. The movie, it looks like a normal indie drama. There's no spectacle to it whatsoever. So all that's there to get wrapped up in 
is the story and the performances and the movie. And I think it exposed, it exposed the story. Whereas on stage, all the elements, all the elements that we're talking about are also in the stage show. They didn't change these things for the movie, but I think it's easier to hide behind them on stage because of all of the different bells and whistles and the Ben Platt of it all, which we'll talk about. But in the movie, it's all just vulnerable. It's all just laid bare. And that's why people are so horrified. The thing I don't understand is like, I am not a professional movie maker or theater person. Like I, I, I'm not. Yes. And I feel like if I were to translate a musical to the screen, the first thing I would talk about and the thing I would come back to over and over again is how proximate the audience is to the storyline on in, in film or how like how little you have to hide behind and how just like the reminder to everyone and to like there's a reason people talk about the magic of theater the, like they use the word magic because it's this sensory experience and I literally like that's the only thing I know about translating a musical to a movie is like having care for all of the um what's the word I'm looking for? Like vulnerabilities or just like to, to see all the plot holes. And I don't understand how that's like, I, it sounds like they maybe had so much hubris going into it. Like they had such a big ego about it all that they were like, we don't need to actually interrogate the thing that even if this was like, you know, the movie, the musical movie of into the woods, right? Like which they, they, whatever, we don't have to talk about into the woods, but there's a lot of times where they put musicals on film and have like, figured out that there is a different way to approach some of the big moments differently and a lot of the small moments differently, all that stuff. It's just a different medium. The In the Heights movie is a really great example of this. The In the Heights movie made a lot of significant differences from the stage show, but they also used filmmaking techniques to heighten the material. There are so many like really beautiful cinematic moments where they climb on buildings and they have like hundreds of people dancing in unison. They really blow it up and try to give you a similar wow experience that you would have had sitting in a theater watching this show. And all the changes they made, if you would ask me, were improvements in storytelling upon the show. They, in many ways, fixed the show. And so... Dear Evan Hansen, I think the correct word for many of the decisions they made is hubris and arrogance. And it did not occur to them that this could go so poorly. It's just the thing. It's great. What's the problem? Yeah. And I think that has to do with the man of the hour is Ben Platt, who we can give a a brief synopsis of Ben, but like to know Ben and to speak about his career in earnest, we also must address the fact that Ben Platt's father is Mark Platt. And you're like, who's Mark Platt? He's a big time film, TV, and theater producer. He produced The Trial of Chicago 7, the Broadway show Wicked, and all the Legally Blonde movies, La La Land, and more. And what do you know? He also produced Dear Evan Hansen and the movie version that was forced to star his son, Ben. Ben's been in theater, though, for a long time. That probably has to do with some slight nepotism. Uh, at nine years old, he played Winther Peru in The Music Man at the Hollywood Bowl alongside Chris and Chenoweth. At age 11, he appeared in a brief national tour of Carolina Change. In 2012, Platt was cast as Elder Arnold Cunningham in the Chicago production of The Book of Mormon while he was at a minor role in Pitch Perfect, aka The Best Friendship Ever with Skylar Astin. 
some spring awakening tie back. They're still friends. Um, and then he later reprised this role on Broadway. And then by the end of 2016, bringing us up to speed in Ben's career, he premiered as Evan Hansen, originating the role key in Dear Evan Hansen, his run was critically acclaimed and he won a Tony for best actor in the musical. And he went on to do politician. He has his own record out now, which I honestly think is good. I know a lot of people don't like his pop music career, but he does have a beautiful voice. Um, and I just wanted to put that, give you a little bit of context to about Ben and why it's also so important to know the, his, his fam, his familial ties, because I also think that has shaped a lot of his hubris. I, I think it's also worth it to talk about his performance in the show on Broadway and how it was received Mm -hmm. because he got every single award you can possibly get for originating a role on Broadway and including the Tony. And he was billed as this was a big breakout moment for him. It was, you have to go see Dear Evan Hansen and see this guy in the role. Why? His voice, look, we could talk about the nepotism of it all. His voice is unbelievable. He is yes. an unbelievable singer. It is beautiful. And none of what, none of the mean things we're about to say about him, uh, take that away. Um, he, his performance in the show he is the only person, and this is a little insidery knowledge, he's the only person who has played the show eight times a week. Every single one of his replacements has only done the show five or six times a week hmm. with an alternate Ben going on for matinees. Why? Because the vocal, what is required of the actor vocally in that show is ridiculous. The score is ridiculously high. It is also, Ben Pratt played this role with, dozens of ticks and twitches and body movements and every night he was breaking himself down on stage for the audience it was i think for a lot of people the highlight of the show that this guy was really destroying himself up there crying screaming having panic attacks there was a we talked about the spectacle of the set there was a real spectacle to his performance it was a not a nuanced performance it was a very big performance that for a lot of people captured anxiety and depression and was just very wow how does this guy do this he a lot of the um, discourse was around how he sang the song Words Fail through tears and he's hitting these high notes while weeping. It, it was it was unabashedly unironically accepted as peak Broadway acting. Yeah, and I agree. And that's also when I, I saw the production and I was like, I walked from that production being like, what a fucking weird play. But man, Ben Platt is super talented and made me like almost his role, his acting and that and singing is so good that it does make you be like, is that show fucked up? I can't really pay attention to the plot because it's I'm so enamored. Yeah, I'm so enamored by Ben Platt's performance, um, which is why I also get that he feels so like such a connection to a role that I don't know, John, maybe other actors probably do when they feel origin- like they feel like they originated something. I don't know if Lynn manuel Miranda feels similar lead to the to Hamilton because he wrote it 
and orig- and starred in it, but I I think it's it might be. I do I do I can see why he feels so passionately that the role is his. Yes, he did. He yes. He did a lot of work to create this role and not only turn the character, but the show into what it was. That is undeniable. That is undeniable. And we would be lying if we pretended it wasn't true. Everything about this show, almost all of it, can be attributed to how well his performance was received, to what a success it was to the box office on Broadway, to the awards. It was all about him. It's, it's different than Hamilton. It is different than Hamilton in that respect because so much of the phenomenon of Hamilton was about the material itself. And that's why it has continued to be so successful. So much of the phenomenon around Evan Hansen was around the performance by Ben Platt. Is it coming back? It is coming back. Um, it's coming back in mid-December. With, with Noah Jordan Galvin? Fisher as Evan oh, Jordan Hansen. Fisher. No, with, with Jordan Fisher as Evan Hansen. Is Jordan the third Ben? A third Ben? <laughs> Jordan I, the third I, Evan? I don't, I don't, I believe, I could be wrong. I'm kind of pulling this number out of my ass. I believe that there have been eight or nine people to have played the role between Broadway and the tours and the can- Canadian and sit-down production. Um including Ben Platt. So I, I don't know how much it's been on Broadway, but I, I think that that number is between eight or nine people who have played the role regularly. And Jordan was who was playing it when COVID hit. Like I he think, was like, it was, it was him, I think. Uh, you could fact check me on that. I think so. Um, yeah, I only know sure. him from To All the Boys I Loved Before. Yeah. I like him better. I did watch a bunch of Jordan Fisher, Evan Hansen content today. I like Jordan Fisher. He's a little too hot for the role, TVH, in my opinion. Well, He's really hot. And I don't they're think they're all too hot, hot for the role. Yeah. They're maybe, all maybe. too. It, that's a huge problem <laughs> with the move, with, with, I think, with this whole thing, with the whole vehicle, that all the people playing all of these troubled people are way too hot for me to believe that they have that. Like, it, it just doesn't make. It, it doesn't track that Evan Hansen's a hottie at the yeah, same time. Yeah, but that's time. showbiz. I know they tried to, like, make Ben Ben Platt, like, uglier in the movie, I guess. It's not just that Jordan Fisher is hot. It's that he acts hot. And even his, like, Evan Hansen twitches, which, by the way, I want to talk about the autistic coding and how problematic that is at some point. But all the, like, when he, like, kind of, he just, like, makes, like, cute little, like, he like crinkles his nose in like a cute way. He just like didn't turn off when he's doing his acting, the part of his brain that knows he's hot. Like it's not just about looks. It's like he literally moves through the world as a hottie who like gets treated like a hottie and Evan Hansen shouldn't move through the world that way. Yeah. So back to uh, Ben's connections to his dad. When the movie rolls around, they obviously are like, no one else can do this role but Ben Platt, despite looking way too old to be cast as a teenager. But Ben seems like genuinely unconcerned about this criticism. In fact, he's almost defensive to a point where you're like, shut up, Ben. You're not doing yourself any favors. 
On June 18th, while appearing in the Zach Zang show, he stated, people like to have something to say that is negative, regardless of what what it is, Blatt said. And so if my thing is something that I can't control at all, which is my age, then bring it on. I'm glad it's not about the performance or my voice or anything that actually matters. He's asked about his dad. He doesn't address it uh, head on. He's he's fiercely and unapologetically defends his work on the role. And for the reason for casting, he goes on to say, I think the reaction is largely from people who don't understand the context of the piece. The fact that I created the role and I workshopped it for three years, were I not to do the movie, it probably wouldn't have gotten made. And so I think my defensive response is to want to go on Twitter and be like, fuck you guys. You don't know. You don't even know that this wouldn't exist without me. And of course, that that's not true entirely and not a place to say, all I have to do is let the work speak for itself, which is, and it doesn't, the work doesn't speak for itself then. And it's like, you, you could manage this in a better way by being like, look, I know my father is famous and it's definitely helped my career, but like, I worked really hard on this role and I'm really excited to be in the movie and to continue doing something I love. That's there, there are loads of ways he can engage with this issue because he is not the first nepotism case in Hollywood. He ain't going to be the last. And it's not even the most egregious because as we've mentioned before, he's actually very talented. He, he's actually really good. And so it's not terrible when he gets cast in things, but to engage with it from this like totally petulant stance, it, it's just really difficult to swallow even before you see the movie. Yeah. I just like want to smack him. It's like, no one's trying to say you're not a good singer here. It's like acknowledge the elephant in the room. Um, but let's also bad in the movie. <laughs> I think that's why he's defensive because he yes. must know deep down that he was the wrong person to cast for this film. They made like the context around all this and why we're talking about Ben Platt specifically is that a huge part of the disaster of this movie is that he is in it and he is disastrously bad in it. He is the worst part of the movie by a long shot. All the other performances are normal movie performances. And this is something I'm stealing from my roommate, but it is as if they copy pasted his stage performance, which is big played to a 1500 seat theater into a movie which is for a camera that's six inches from your face. And he, he's in a completely different movie from the rest of his co-stars. The age thing, they also tried to de-age him with makeup and foundation, and he looks like a corpse. He yes. looks like a body you see at a wake that has gotten up and is now lying to you about your dead brother. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh... <laughs> it's horrific. It's horrific. On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, more on why Dear Evan Hansen will ruin Ben Ben Platt's career, because I think John is getting there. And and we're back. I'm still here for this. Tell us more about why why Dear Evan Hansen is ruining Ben Platt's career which is not the sentence I think we thought we would be saying. Yeah, I think he thought he was going to be getting an Oscar for this movie, or at least was going to be nominated. Um, that is apparent by the fact that his big tour for the album that came out in 2021 happens to be going from early February to April. 
what else is going on in that time? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. I didn't um, think about that. That is that is my presumption about why they put it that because I think they thought he'd be on an award show tour. Um, more on the tour in a second. I have gone deep down the rabbit hole, friends. Um, he didn't. So the movie is a disaster. He and he is bad in the movie. Um, but this could have come and gone pretty pretty easily. Many celebrities we come to know and love are in bad movies and come off completely unscathed. Ben Platt decided to identify himself with this movie. He decided to identify himself with this role. And he got so defensive. I am the role. This movie would not have happened without me. I am the role. This movie would not have happened without me. I needed to be in this movie. So first of all, I think a lot of critics went into seeing the movie going, yeah, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy for his attitude for feeling so entitled um, to this part and to being a movie star. Second, if this is the part that defines you and you put that in the public's minds, and then not only is the movie bad, not only does the movie get ripped apart for the sociopathic elements that we discussed earlier in the episode, but you are bad in it. You are the core problem in the movie. That is going to do some damage. That is going to knock off some XP points. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for you. And that's why I, and I think that is reflected in say the concert tour he's going on friends if you want to like i have go to the ben platt tour Ticketmaster page there are lots of blue dots there are lots and lots of blue dots in those theaters lots of tickets that haven't been bought yet and i don't know what at this point between now and the tour would dramatically increase ticket sales i i think the die's been cast i don't know what it's gonna what's gonna do it um i think they thought it was gonna be an oscar nomination I promise that ain't happening. And so I think this is, I think this is real damage that he has done. That was unnecessary, unforced error. Yeah, I didn't think about the Oscars, but you're so right. And even like knowing Ben's dad, I do disagree with you slightly in that. I think Ben, this is a dip, but I think he'll ultimately be fine simply because of his family and his raw talent that I think maybe he takes some time to like hide and perhaps reflect, but I, I don't think this will be like the end of Ben. Yeah. I, he'll always be fine on Broadway. Always. As he probably should be. As he should. Be. Yeah. You think his movie career is over? I think his career as a leading man of a movie is certainly over. Even like a Ryan Murphy project. I mean, like, like a, it sells. It, it depends on. I guess it depends on what you think the prestige of leading a Ryan Murphy project is like how well, high profile so much, is, yeah. is the, is the politician. I think he, I think that could be his over for the rest of his life. That I, I don't think he would lose out on a project like the politician. Now. Um, I don't think he's going to be an Avenger, <laughs> you know, and, and, and yeah. it, it feels like, you know, he's marketing. He did all these, all of his press appearances involved him singing. And I think he wants to be a pop star. And I think this, I think we have to take him at his word on that and also see that the way this all went for him has made that uh, very difficult. Yeah, I agree. I think he definitely would like to, I think he would like to be an EGOT. Like I think he, I think so. I think he thinks of himself highly enough that that's attainable for him to have. And he, I mean, I like some of his music on some of his, like off this album honestly 
I listened to it. Um, it he has a beautiful voice and yes, it's very does. soothing. And the songs are good. To. Some of the songs are good. Some are better than others, but it's, it's, it's weird. And this is a conversation for another day. I think when Broadway stars go pop or they go non-traditional Broadway because their voices are different. It's like when Leah Michelle released all of her pop music stuff too. It's like something doesn't translate because you're like, am I listening to a Jason? Honestly, the Ben Platt stuff sounds like it could have been written, written by Jason Robert Brown. Like it sounds very much like that kind of album, like pop Broadway. Yeah. It's no not one can something... do it like Barbara Streisand can do it. <laughs> she can yeah. do it. It's just, it's not something I would be like, oh, this is on C100, you know, but it's good. Yeah. It, he thinks, he, and this is not an exaggeration. He thinks he's selling out Madison Square Garden. That he has a performance at Madison Square Garden in the spring, um, and so that's what that's his goal—to be that guy. And there's a big, maybe it's not still there, but there was recently. There's a huge ad for it on Madison Square on Madison Square Garden. Yes, you seen that? Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, John, what's so the ticket funny. sales look like? They're not good. No, it wasn't good last I checked. Should, should I go? Should we do this live on yeah, air? See, okay. See Ticketmaster.com. How much? MSG sees how many? Like 40,000? Uh, no, no. Like 18,000, 19,000. Oh, okay. And, so. and if they've cut it off, like they normally do, if it's not like 360, but they put the stage at one end of the arena and yeah. they're not selling the seats behind it, um, I would bet it's about 10,000 seats maybe, maybe a little more, but not a lot more. And friends, there are lots of blue dots. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now and anybody listening at home, the floor is sold out. Okay. The so sides, his diehards are there. They his have diehards are there. The sides closest to the stage are mostly sold out. Okay. And then I would argue just eyeballing this here, maybe 70% of the remaining seats are unsold. Oh my yeah, god. Maybe eight, maybe eighty percent. That's not yep. great. And how long have tickets been on? Tickets have been on sale for a while, I assume. Like a month, a little over a month. And yeah. this yeah, is just not gonna it's not gonna get any different. This, this is his this is where his audience is. I, there's, yeah. there's no other place, you know. This isn't like um I, I I I'm trying to think of another artist and I'm blanking, but th- but this isn't like he's an artist that has his home base somewhere else and just happens to be coming here. New York City no, should he is be, a coastal elite. Yes, and, and this should be where he's selling the best, and he's not selling well here. So it's it's just a mess for him. I think part of what's happening, at least for me, and I'm not sure if you will agree with it, is that I think that there's been a lot of conversations over the last few years, and especially over the last year, 18 months, um, is the concept of white mediocrity and how little patience we as a society have for white mediocrity these days. I think that that is especially true with um, film and music. I think it's less true in on, in theater. I think there's still a lot of like room for, and actually I should say in many ways, he's not mediocre. He's incredibly talented, but there's like, we have been asked as the audience to forgive so much from this movie his performance, his makeup, the plot holes, like everything. We've been asked to just like accept it. And I think it's a really hard time for 
such a white production and there's been a lot of, we could, maybe we can link an article about this. There's been a lot of articles about um, how like the, the whiteness of the film is just like stupid and a little bit bad. And the whole team was white and all like an every, yeah, it's like not the, the racial component of it is like very problematic. I think that there's, as a society, we have less tolerance for white projects coming at us with like white messages and white actors and a mandala and asking us to just like forgive it for everything. I don't think we want to do that anymore. And the, the friend is, is Jared is cast by a person of color. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. In the, in the movie, but in the not movie, in the not show. In the show. It, and that in was the movie, not in the show. That was their way of being like, look at our representation. We are not going to like think about any of the fundamental um, plot points that might be problematic, nor are we going to look at our entire executive and creative teams. We're just going to put this, we're going to make this new guy. I mean, we're going to make this guy who has been white now person of color. Like that's and, really well, shows and- how dumb they are. Well, it's it, it, the amount of lampshading they attempted to do in this movie because one of the criticisms of the show, so the character of Jared in the show, um, it, we've described him at his function in the plot. He is a quote-unquote family friend of Evan who helps him, at least in the beginning, per- perpetrate this lie. Um, and he does it by helping him write fake emails between him and Connor Murphy that are supposed to prove to the Murphys that he and Evan were friends. Um, In the show, he is loud. He is obnoxious. He's like a little mean to everybody around him and makes a series of gay jokes about Evan and Connor Murphy. That is many of the punchlines is Jared suggests like making a joke that Evan and Connor were gay for each other. That's how it's phrased. That's how it's pretty much presented. Yeah. In the movie, they try to fix this, this exact problem, by making the character explicitly gay, while still not cutting many of those jokes. He yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, it's still really homo- No, it's still really homophobic. <laughs> many of the jokes are still there. And now this gets into my characterization thing, that they worked so hard to try to address all these criticisms, but the show at the core of the show itself is so cancerous that these characters still need to behave a certain way to make the plot work. So they try to make Jared less loud, less cruel, less obnoxious. They make him gay, but he still needs to make fun of Evan so that we don't believe Evan has a friend and we wrote all these gay jokes. So he's still making gay jokes. It makes no sense that he would continuously hit this button. Like there's a really striking moment in the movie where Evan is describing this, the the original letter, the original Dear Evan Hansen letter that uh, Connor Murphy finds and then is found in Connor Murphy's pocket after he dies. He describes the letter to Jared and Jared says, whoa, is that like a sex letter? And it's like really striking because it, I'm sitting in the audience like who says that like who how did he get there it makes zero sense and I, I it is so it's it's mind-boggling just just the amount of choices they made in this movie to try to address criticism that ends up making the problem worse 
I feel like it's also mind boggling that this is Pasek and Paul. And I feel like this movie is the movie project equivalent of the Oscars moment with La La Land where they yeah. thought they won and they didn't. And it's yeah. the same people. It's like, it's- you didn't win. You, you didn't win then. You didn't win now. Like, learn. Learn from it. it They're not it's, and, and can I... Pasek and Paul now have... Uh, I, I think it's fair to call it a pattern of writing um, morally troubling works. There's Dear Evan Hansen. There is their other... What I is probably the the work that they're most associated with in the public eye, The Greatest Showman. Yeah. Which is about P.T. Barnum and whitewashes the legacy of P.T. Barnum to somehow imply he invented body positivity. Um I actually never saw a greatest showman. I just know all the songs because they, I, un- I, they unfortunately slap the way they do in <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, they are great songs. They also implied BT PT Barnum was not a monster. Spoiler alert, he was. They also have this show that uh, I have a complicated relationship with, but I know a lot of people in my life love it and may take issue with what I'm about to say about it. It's called Dogfight, okay? It was off-Broadway. And the plot of the show... Makes my skin crawl. ...is about... uh, It's an army base, I think in San Francisco, and all the guys are about to go off to Vietnam. And for the last night, they're having this dance. And all the soldiers are holding a competition to see who could bring the ugliest woman to the dance. And whoever brings the ugliest woman wins. Thus the title, Dogfight. Who can bring the biggest dog? Um, And much of the show is about this guy attempting to woo this woman to come to the dance with him and manipulate her insecurities. Um to um so that he could win this competition and people could look up how it all turns out it is it is not their original idea it i i believe it's either a book or a movie i don't remember what they based it off of um not but sure did, that makes it any better <laughs> but but my, my point is this is now with Pesach and paul i think fair to describe it as a pattern of approaching pieces of flattening the moral ambiguities of the work they choose to uh, present. And you know that um, the concept for Evan Hansen wasn't their idea either. Yeah, it was the the book writers, right? Well, it was, I don't know the full story. What I know, Pasek is from my town. I know his family, lovely people. Um, I don't know him. And my understanding is that an incident like this happened at a school in my town that where, right. where, where bench Pascal went. So that I find that, that it, the fact that it was based on a true story in that way, interesting, because it means that like, they were like, well, we want to kind of tell this story. So let's like stick to it instead of being like, actually, is this a story that needs to like exist in the world? It's, like, do we need this? It's if I were to give the creators of this show truth serum and I got to give them ask them one question. The question I would ask them is that if you wanted to write a show of exploring issues of mental health and exploring issues of self-discovery and exploring issues of the way modern technology impacts the mental health of today's teenagers, why on earth 
did you try to stick those messages within this deranged plot? Why did you need this big lie to help tell that story? It feels entirely unnecessary to me and in fact detracts from that entire message. You didn't need it. You didn't need it at all. And yet here we are discussing it. Seriously. And then the other piece that I think that that takes us to is just another element of many that are um, hurtful in some way of this ridiculous show and movie, which has great music. Um, So part of what I think uh, uh, Ben was lauded for was his ability to portray someone who was like going through it. Right. And there was this like umbrella term of mental health that was kind of thrown on the character of Evan, but actually it's very clear that Evan, the character is coded as neurodiverse in some way, some way. And I don't know, like, like, I don't know what they intended it to be, but part of like what you were saying, like people were like, wow, he's like singing. And he kind of also has these like ticks and he's crying, like all of that stuff. We're meant to understand like something is going on here. And it's like, I mean, autistic representation in media is like a huge thing that I think we as a society are getting better at. And like, my gosh, we have so much more to go. And it's weird that they decided to make this choice. They clearly just made it as like a a character choice without actually getting into it at all. And they want it to be like enough of a plot point that Ben Platt and future Evans get big ups for acting in this like neurodiverse way, but it's not enough of a plot point that we actually, first of all, have to interrogate it. And second of all, it's something that he can overcome. Look at him. He overcame it. And there was this great piece. There's like a few pieces I read about this that I think we can link in the description. One was um, from a piece by E. Walsick. Walchick. Um, I don't know how to say that last name in Medium. And the author says, Evan's social anxiety is nothing more than a metaphorical journey he must go on, go through, grow through, grow out of. It's an ill-defined condition which may or may not require therapy and psychopharmacological treatment that he can just get over, that can be overcome with the right amount of self-confidence and affection from parents, lovers, and friends. Anyway, it's just another piece of this that they throw these things in without doing any interrogation, and it's incredibly irresponsible. It's irresponsible on... um, on the stage, I think it's even more irresponsible on film. So I actually, in the movie, which you haven't seen, they do, I address this a little bit more in that they are talk about medication explicitly in a weird way because they give Alana a song about, and they're both like, you're on Lexapro. I'm on Lexapro, but like they do, you do see Ben like actively take medication in a way that you don't see in the sh- in the stage production. Well, even conflating like anxiety, depression, and autism. Yeah, they don't Those are like autism. separate things. And not everyone who's anxious has autism. And not everyone who has autism is anxious. Like it's really, it's very clear that no human in this entire food chain who was involved has like is on the spectrum and they've never cared to ask. They've never cared to interrogate. They've never cared to wonder because if they did one person would be like, Hey, if he's going to be autistic, cool. And if he's not like, why are you coding him that way? And are there other ways of like showing anxiety that don't like make people whatever, make him into something that needs to be like pitied. 
I, I think I, I have a personal rule when I see, when I engage with any piece of media or art, uh, coding doesn't count. And like you either say it or you don't. And I think it's important to mention that it's, Especially in the stage show, they never diagnose Evan. What I mean is we hear he's, he goes to therapy. We hear that he takes medication. And in the stage show, he throws out his medication because he starts feeling better. Um, and so this whole autism coding is something that the fandom projected onto the show because the show is and the movie is deliberately coy about what he quote unquote has. And I, when I saw the show, I thought they did it so that the audience could fill in the blank space and justify what he does. If you never say what he has, well, we never attribute it to his specific condition. But if you think he has this, it could be his specific condition. I have heard defenses of the show um, that, oh, because he's coded as autistic, and, aut and autistic people struggle with social cues and struggle with morality. Like, it, and that's where it, 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 it got squishy right. immediately. But because, because he, he doesn't understand, he's coded as autistic and doesn't understand the social implications of his behavior, it's more understandable. I, if it's not clear already, am very skeptical of that argument. There are shows specifically about autism that used the word. It's called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. It is spectacular. Um, this is not one of those shows. This is a show that just says mental health and then asks you to do the rest of the work. There are no specific diagnoses, which means they don't have to get specific. The scene in the movie where, there, where Amanda Stenberg looks at Evan Hansen and goes, Lexapro. First off, it's the most stilted scene I have ever seen in my life. Um, it, it treats these things like burdens. It, it, it treats these pharmacological interventions and the therapy like burdens and not it, like treatments. And it's, it's, it's literally it, her song is like talking about it being a burden. Yeah. And like how hard it is to have to go to therapy and how hard it is to take medication and how much worse it makes your life. I think one of the things that's so toxic about this show is that for a show that claims to care so much about mental health, it is filled, filled with destructive stereotypes about mental health and about like, throw out your medicine once you feel better. Stop going to therapy once you feel better. If the people in your life are just nice to you, um, you will feel better. My, one of the things that drives me nuts about you will be found besides all the things we just talked about, you will be found melodically is fucking beautiful. But when you look at the lyrics, what the, what the song's message, as I interpret it, especially within the context of the show, because the context of the show is that Evan is upset that when he jumped out of a tree, nobody found him. He had to bring himself to the hospital. Um, just hang out in the depths of your mental health and somebody ought to drag you out of it rather than seek help, rather than you need to take that step. It's like rely on other people to pull you out of it and they owe it to you. And that's, they, uh, the, the, 
I think this show makes a lot of arguments about like what you are entitled to as a person walking through the world. You're entitled to friends. You're entitled to have the cute girl you like, like you, and you're entitled to have other people fix your mental health for you. And if they don't do it, they are wronging you somehow. Yeah. I mean, the song is literally written in passive voice. Like you will be found. (laughs) Yeah. I want to know, like, I want to ask everybody involved, like, I just want to know who are the people, because you know there's got to be a lot, extras, background, company members. I just like who were like, what the fuck is this? And like just doing it for a paycheck. And like, I want to know what they talked about. I want to know what those group chats are like. Like, I, I just feel like this stuff is so obvious that like people involved must have known it too. And maybe we'll never know. Well, they did because they tried to fix what for me is the biggest sin of the show which is the ending because the way that the musical, the way that the musical ends is um, so we've, we've mentioned this, but getting back to it through a wild series of events, um, the original Dear Evan Hansen letter, which everybody except Evan believes to be Connor Murphy's suicide note finds its way online. The Murphys get bombarded with online harassment and hate because they like led Connor to commit suicide. It's ridiculous in the show too. It but makes no sense. It makes, it makes no sense once you, when, cause we hear the entire letter in the show and in the movie. And I don't understand how a reasonable person would believe that. The family is to blame. That that's, what, that that's what you're supposed to take from it. The, yeah. the family is responsible, but let's just go with it for now. Um, the family, the parents start arguing with each other about which one of them is more responsible for the son's suicide. Evan says, stop arguing. I made the whole thing up. Words fail. He then runs home to his mother's house, who's, who, and this never gets talked about. His mother hears that her son has done this terrible thing. And the mother's response is, it's okay. I'm still here for you. Then jump cut to a year later where... He's invited to meet Zoe at the orchard that he, his fake story helped build. The Murphys have not told anybody about his lie. And she says, I wanted you to see what we all did. And then she goes away and Evan says, today is a good day because I can believe in myself. Yes, Hannah's face just deep in her hands. In the movie... The same sequence of events happens. He sings words fail. In the middle of words fail, he approaches Zoe in school and says, why haven't your parents told anybody? And Caitlin Dever responds, well, because my mother's worried that you're going to kill yourself and she doesn't want to lose two sons. That is the line. That is the line. And then she says, please leave my family alone. Explicitly. Zoe Murphy says, please leave my family alone. They're not going to tell your secret. Evan sings, the rest of words fell. He then records an Instagram video, copping to the whole thing. He, admit, he admits to it. The, everybody in school, he's back to being an outcast. His mother sings, uh, so big, so small. That actually may be reversed. So big, so small may be right before he cops to it on Instagram. He cops to it on Instagram. He then... He has been told, please leave my family uh, alone. Instead, he goes to their eighth grade yearbook and reads 
all of the books that uh, Connor Murphy listed as his favorite books in his eighth grade yearbook. There's like eight. He reads all of them, including Ready Player One and Persepolis and Cats in the Cradle. And then emails all of the people that Connor was in rehab with and has them send to Evan and the Murphy family the songs that Connor wrote that he performed in rehab. And then the orchard scene happens. Also, I just want to say how also this plot makes no sense. They developed it. Where were the, where were these people during the Connor project, which we're supposed to assume had like wide internet uh, reach. And then also why are people responding to Evan Hansen? Yes. You're also supposed to assume that they're like, wow, fuck this guy. Because yes. they also saw the stuff on the internet. They, the movie asks us to believe that these friends, these friends he made in rehab who had the Connor Murphy collected works just sitting on their hard drive said nothing when he initially died, did, said absolutely nothing. And it was only when Evan, who they now know to be a liar, reached out to them that they were like, oh, well, I guess we should give Evan Hansen this material who, who has admitted to lying flagrantly about our dead friend. Yeah, they, they tried to make the ending better, but it, in fact, makes even less sense. The only thing we got out of it is Ben is Evan Hansen apologizing, which we did not get taking some kind of ownership that we really yes. didn't get in the, in the stage production. In, in this, in, in the, but I'm so bothered. I am so bothered by the fact that they have Zoe played by Caitlin Dever, who is also wonderful in this movie, say explicitly to Evan Hansen, leave me alone. Leave my family alone. Stay out of this story. And Evan takes that as permission to continue meddling in the story. Don't you feel like it's no so telling? About that. The movie has no self-consciousness about that. It's so telling because they were like, we, oh yeah, right. Like we did hear about that. This plot point didn't land well with the audience. Not like this is a fundamental fuckery that we need to like, Address. So the fact that they even addressed it at all is almost more embarrassing because it means they're like aware that. of it. I think it makes the play, the, the stage production more damning that they knew that they know that it's a problem. They don't address it in the stage show and they, they address it in this really roundabout. Congratulations on reading Persepolis, my guy. Like, and Ready Player One? We're supposed to believe that, that, Reading Ready Player One in the world of this movie is an appropriate act of contrition. It's very weird, especially because throughout the entire film, you're like supposed to assume that Connor like has literally no one, no, never made a friend in his life, like has no hobbies or anything. His parents don't know. I mean, the only hobby he has is playing the guitar. I guess they like kind of make that clear when they like go into Connor's room. It's a whole, it just, it makes it even more. It is the only way the plot makes any sense is if Connor has no friends and has nobody in his life who cares about him. The, thus, that make, it makes it possible for Evan to do all this lying. If he has friends, then there's no, then, then he can't get away with it. It's insane. It's insane. So 10 out of 10 you'd recommend, right, John? <laughs> what, part of the reason why I was so excited to talk about this show um, is that I am equal parts horrified and fascinated by it. I can't believe this thing exists. I, I, it is 
for me, the fact that it exists and was successful is something that I, I can't explain it. I can't explain how a bunch of adults got together and deemed this appropriate. And, and then it worked for a while and now the wheels are off the wagon. It's an insane pop culture story to me. I can't think of anything else like it. Spooky, just in time for Halloween. It's all very spooky. I think a worthwhile um, comparison point for this show is Little Shop of Horrors. And I think if anybody wants to see the see a show that handles um, the way that hurt people can do things that hurt other people and face proper, um, face some sort of consequences for it, Little Shop of Horrors is a great place to look. Both the movie and the musical. So there you go. But, but not the movie. Because I the actually, movie okay, I, I agree with you. Great. We'll do, we'll do another. We'll do a whole other thing on Little Shop agree. of Horrors. I completely agree. Yes. yes. That ending, the way they changed the ending in Little Shop. Absolutely. That, that's, a different, that's a different podcast, but I think it speaks to the way that pop culture mores have changed. That back then they felt forced by the audience to give Little Shop of Horrors a happy ending. And now the audience is horrified that Evan Hansen has the happy ending. That's actually a great, a great point to end on. Well, thank you so much, John, for coming on and bearing your soul about Dear Evan Hansen and Ben Platt. It was very fun. and we Thank you for having me. I, I've been wanting to explode about this for six months. So I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've exercised something today. Not like exercise. I, I've exorcised a demon. And, and I, it, I, it, it came out of my mouth, like, like just vomited it out. And now I feel better. You have been found. And that's what our oh, show is here no. for. <laughs> we hear you. And you have been found. So that's our show, but it is not the end of the conversation. And we, I actually can't wait to hear what you think. So please let us know. And if you have a second and you want to support us, please leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And till next time. Bye everyone. See you later. Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah.